Cookie Crisp White Russians. That's okay, a thing. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. I'm going to be thinking about that. Shout out to Levi's mom. She's a queen. I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Trebwasser. And we are here. It is, what, the fourth podcast in a row. We have what you might call momentum. Yeah, this is a streak. We're on a hot streak. Talking about TCU football, got a lot of cool nuggets today. Media met with Gary Patterson this morning, this morning being Wednesday morning, right after TCU's second scrimmage, third scrimmage of the fall camp. And uh, he gave us some pretty juicy nuggets, injury updates. He told us who the current backups quarterback would be. Is it Chandler Morris? Is it Sam Jackson? Is it Michael Downing? I don't know. One of those guys had a birthday, I'm pretty sure, today. And that birthday might line up. He turned 22 for QB2. Interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about who Patterson mentioned as the backup quarterback to Max Duggan currently. Um, He gave some high praise to some young guys. And then we're going to, in the second half of this episode, talk a little bit more just about TCU's schedule in general. Give, Give us a a little bit of a high-level picture of what is in store for TCU when they actually start playing some football games this fall. How's that sound, Melissa? You know what? That sounds like an exceptional plan, Jamie. And I'm ready great. to, yeah, I'm I'm ready to stop talking about football and start watching football, but that will come in due time. We, we are today, which is Wednesday, the day before you listen to this, 10 days away from the first college football game of the season. It's true. So... Ten days away. Heady time. NFL preseason has been happening. Uh, Hard Knocks is covering, obviously, the Dallas Cowboys. This uh, Look, all right. I have watched the first two episodes of Hard Knocks, Tangent. They have been exceptionally boring. And I cannot decide if that's a good thing for the Cowboys or not. Because normally, the standard for Dallas is uh, dysfunction and chaos. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem like there's much dysfunction and chaos right now. And I kind of am okay with boring, frankly. I mean, boring if you're going to win, but if they're not going to win, I'd rather them be hilarious, you know? That comes so, from a non Cowboys fan. It comes from, this is true. So I kind of actually would rather but, them be hilarious than win, even. So. so that's fair. So that's a little hurtful, but I understand it. Uh, but yeah. it, my, that thought leads me into a question for you. How I kind of want to kick off this episode is Would it be okay for TCU football to be boring in 2021? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. I, I'm sick of being. Um, uh, I, I like, well, wait, no, no, I take it back. I lied. I don't think TCU football can be boring. I don't think boring gets us where we need to be. Mm. Um, because you, you, if you're boring, you probably won seven or eight games. Um, okay. if you, if you win nine or 10 games and people are talking about you cause you're picked to finish what fifth in the preseason poll. So now you've overachieved and you're, you're a big story again. And I think especially with the, uh, uh, veil of realignment hanging over TCU. You win 10 games, people start getting that recency bias and talking about you as is TCU a good candidate for the Big 12. You have just a, a really nice eight and four season and nobody cares about you. And I don't think TCU is a position where we don't want people to notice us. So you either got to cheese it bowl the season or you got to win 10 games. 
Well, you know, it's really interesting that you took that stance, that you made that 180 right out of the gate, because you just said something that kind of aligns with what Patterson said today during his media availability. He got asked about conference realignment, where he thinks TCU might end up. The actual question was really more along the lines of um, just, you know, expounding on his conference realignment comments that he made uh, a couple of weeks ago, right when all of the news broke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, I'm not going to worry about it. My job is to win games. He said, I've been here for if we change conferences again, this will be the fifth new conference that I've been a part of. Um, But this is what he said. He said, uh, for us, we are very marketable from a lot of standpoints, from an academic university to what we've put into this university from a facility standpoint to the level of play that we play, we go about our business. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, you know, we I think we've heard TCU described in a bunch of different ways, and people said they don't have the academics, they do have the academics, they're not this, they are that. But I, I think Gary is is dead on that for the most part, TCU has overachieved annually. They've won a lot of football games. Last three years have not been that, but um, they've turned themselves into. Um, an investment-heavy university that, um, as the popularity of the school has grown nationwide, I think a lot a lot of that money has gone back into building up programs, both academically, athletically, and just the way the campus looks. So, yeah, I think TCU is a very marketable university. I would I would agree with that. I would say too that, um, you know, history matters. So it's not even just about. Uh, if they win 10, 11, 12 games this you kinda, year. You kind of sound win. like an Aggie if you go history matters. You know, like you get- well, <laughs> that's fair. I, I I will I will I will take that. Also, TCU's history, at least in the last 25 years, is yeah. when when current players light, were alive. Light years ahead of where AM's history has been. Um more conference sure. championships in the last 20 years than AM has in the history of their program. So for sure. Just going to throw that stat out there for you to chew on a little bit. But Patterson's comment went on because he also talked about how, um, you know, he can only control so much. The players can only control so much. And really, it's about uh, this season is really just about going about controlling what they can control and letting the powers that be do whatever it is that they're going to do. Um, He said, you know, uh, when I found out, it felt a lot like, um, you know, being third in the rankings and then winning 55 to three Mm. and then getting knocked down to six. And he goes, what do you do about that? You get up and you keep going. It's what we do. Uh, And so he really just has this kind of attitude that regardless of where TCU ends up conference wise down the road, TCU is going to keep waking up every morning and doing what it does, which is putting a quality football product on the field. 40, not four. They're building a family here, not just a football team. Right. Um, And then he did go on and say, you know, if, if we go 12 and 0, people will start to notice. Um, And so it's about doing things. uh, Really. I think his message to his players and, and sounded like to, to himself as well um, is just control what you can control and go from there. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's, like you said, that's really all you can do. And I think when you're talking about young kids with a million distractions because at the end of the day these are 18 22 year old kids except for jordy sandy who's um applying for social security but he's he's um, almost he's almost your age yeah guys it's been a great show um we'll talk to you next week maybe um i don't know one one of us may not be here i haven't determined (sighs) which one 
Um, <coughs> it's rude. Sick. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, I think I think you have to. Uh, you got to keep them focused on the here and now, and you have to have that messaging too to sell to recruiting because, like, that's the other part of this is what does it do to recruiting? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we we as fans sometimes get frustrated with with Gary, but then when you hear the way that he's handling this situation, you remember that this is a dude who's who's seen it all. And if you're going to go into a time of uncertainty, like, who else would you want to lead you? You know, like I, I if I'm if I'm TCU from Oklahoma State, the one thing I know is that I've got a head coach who has seen a lot of stuff over their long career at my university and, and is going to be prepared to take, take you to the next place. Um, if you're anybody else, you, you probably don't have that kind of confidence. So at the very least we know Gary won't leave us high and dry. We got, we got that going for us. Yeah. It is a really interesting uh, kind of dualism about the TCU football program. When you consider that Gary's been the consistent head coach for 20 plus years, his mm-hmm. staff has largely remained consistent over that course of time. Um, and yet the program's home has changed yeah. and varied uh, four, potentially five times now in that same time yeah. span. So it is interesting. And I do agree with your point that uh, who better to lead a program through this chaos than someone who's been there three or four times already. Yeah. Um, well, and, and to this point, it's been an upward trajectory. And I think that's what makes this time so different is there's all, you know, unless your mm-hmm. uh, clickbait article that we loved about uh, <laughs> SEC, like, I think, I think we all knew exactly, Hey, you know what? It worked. Good job. I'm proud of you. That was, I was very impressed. Look, um, we're a TCU fan site. We talk about <laughs> TCU things. Was it a was it a substantial rumor from a credible source? Probably no. not. Um, but hey, you had you had Jason Kersey up in the mentions. You know, look, I will say this: I love Jason. <laughs> He's an incredible writer. He came down at me pretty hard. Yeah. Also, unfairly, it felt it felt a little strange since you know the Athletic just did that kind of soap opera yeah. profile on OJ. So maybe. Yep. 100%. Maybe we all just take a step back, Melissa. Hey, you know why? Maybe we all just take a step game back. Because it's almost game, game time. Game on. It's game almost on. game on. Almost game on. That sentence <laughs> almost sh- was grammatically correct. <laughs> Maybe we should start talking about uh, football, huh? Let's keep talking about let's keep talking about what uh, Patterson had to say during media availability today. Because you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago all of the obstacles that young guys have to overcome even to get out on that football field and play in a normal season. Uh, And one of those major obstacles in 2021 is still COVID, which as frustrating as it might be, um, it's just a reality of where we kind of are uh, in the United States at this point. And Patterson did say today that there are only 15 people associated with the program who have not been vaccinated yet, which I found to be really um, heartening. uh, Is that there, he said there are less than 10 scholarship players who have yet to get the vaccine. which is really, really nice, especially when you consider the fact that the Big 12 is going to penalize schools who miss yeah. games because of COVID this year, uh, hitting them with a forfeit and a loss. Yeah, it's it's a huge deal. And as much as I would love to turn this into a um, vaccine, uh, you know, uh, educational <laughs> get, podcast, get we're not going to do please. that yeah. to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> get vaccinated. Um, Greg Abbott is vaccinated, has a booster, and is taking Regeneron. So I just want to throw that out there. Um so, but, but it's, it's a huge deal if you just look at this strictly from a, uh, a football standpoint, because this is not 2020 and there will not be rescheduling and there's no built-in uh, leeway in the schedule. This is if your team misses players, you play. 
-hmm. And um, we've seen what an impact that can make um, when you look at, at what TCU had suited up against West Virginia and against Kansas. Um, it didn't really matter against Kansas, but it did very much so um, in the West Virginia game um, for various reasons. And we know that TCU's recent history does not give us a lot of hope that we won't we will be injury free at key positions um, because that doesn't seem to happen very often. So um, having those guys have that layer of protection, um, what it really does, it, and I know one of the big arguments against vaccinating young people is, is, well, they're young, they'll be fine. But the big thing is the contact tracing and mm -hmm. the contact tracing for vaccinated individuals is significantly different for the contract than the contract tracing for non-vaccinated individuals. Um, you can obviously still contract COVID. Um, I just got through that myself personally mm -hmm. as a vaccinated person um, and you can still get sick from it. But, um, you know, fortunately, I was in a position where anybody that I was a close contact was all vaccinated. And so um, it didn't it didn't wipe out, you know, my place of employment. Um, so I think that that strictly from a being ready to play football game standpoint, that's a huge, huge deal for TCU football. And um, we saw TCU ba baseball get fully vaccinated in the middle of the season and didn't have any issues the rest of the way. Um, I don't know where basketball stands, but I can I can about promise you that um, with the way that the testing is going, um, most of these kids are probably going to. Uh, make the decision that keeps them on the field. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's the decision that they're comfortable with as well. Absolutely. And, you know, Patterson mentioned close contact and contact tracing today during his media availability to say the policy still for unvaccinated players is that if they come into close contact with someone who has COVID, they're down for at least 10 days. Yeah. And that's probably two football games. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you have uh, you know, even 10 guys that are unvaccinated, if those are guys in key positions, like you mentioned, TCU doesn't have the greatest injury history over the last 10 years or so, uh, then you could be looking at uh, a, a situation where TCU is having to forfeit a game, uh, a Big 12 conference game. Uh, and with the stakes already elevated to a crazy level because of the conference instability, um, that's just not something that you can afford to have happen in 2021. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a it's a, a big deal. And, and, you know, as much as I'm very much pro everybody that is eligible for vaccine should get it. Um, I think that what Patterson said was right is that they're giving information, they're having conversations, they're encouraging, they're not mm -hmm. going to force it on anybody. Um, but it's, it's key that the leadership believes that this is a good decision. And so they're hopefully um, providing a lot of educational opportunities for their athletes. Um, because I think a lot of it is just a lack of understanding and, and information. And we've seen a lot of programs bring in experts and, and medical professionals, um, you know, and, and yet still, still here we are in the year 2021 with Lane Kiffin being the leading medical official in uh, college athletics and maybe the lead medical official in the state of Mississippi at this point. So, um, <laughs> but really happy for TCU, um, you know, mostly just, I want, I want those guys to get to play and I want to see a full strength football team. Um, but then I also want everyone to be healthy. And so I think that that checks a lot of the boxes and, and glad to see that, um, that, that, TCU's is far past that threshold to where hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get to see guys on the field. <laughs> Absolutely, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind it though if, say, like Baylor had to forfeit their game against. <laughs> I don't want any of those yeah. guys to get sick or seriously yeah, no, ill or injured. Sick. Yeah, yeah. Don't want that for anyone. But post contact. I want to beat them though. I, I want to beat them. That's fair. Yeah, That's fair. I don't. I don't need, I don't need them out for COVID. I want to, I want to smoke Baylor like 50 to three and like, and you found, you know, we're, we're, we're maybe allies. So maybe we're friends, but I still want to beat them 50 to three. But if they're only picking one of the duo of our, our newfound friendship, we definitely still want it to be us. So, Oh yeah. 
So oh yeah, one hundred. There is that to think about, sure. And and you know, like you said, injuries. TCU is all has suffered several dozens and dozens and dozens of injuries over the last five, six, seven years. Um, we can't really seem to escape it. A lot of questions about why that keeps happening. Uh, and Patterson did give an injury update. Uh, during this availability as well. And there were two names that really stood out as guys who he indicated might be out for a while. Uh, Mikhail Barkley, uh, which is a huge bummer and also feels like a standard part of fall camp going back to the last three years now. Uh, He suffered a leg injury apparently, and it's going to be out for a long time. Um, I saw him coming off of the field today. He did have a boot on, so uh, lower leg, it seems like maybe ankle or foot going on down there which if you're a if you're a burner it's never good if your ankle or your yeah. foot is banged up um and then another name uh, that is uh, probably even more concerning than barclays is george ellis apparently is going to be out for a while defensive tackle uh who stepped in admirably last year when Corey bethley went down um uh, in the preseason and and didn't play all of 2020 um and so you know there's a lot of depth at defensive tackle but ellis is one of those uh, older guys uh, who you don't really want to see go down. Ta- go down. Other than that, uh, other than Barkley and Ellis, though, Melissa, his update was really about guys that are getting ready to come back. Noah Daniels, he said, is back. He's not where his legs aren't where uh, they need to be quite yet, but he's on his way back. Tay Barber is on his way back. Brandon Coleman has been taking reps again, which is really good. They're about to get um, Terrell Cooper and Jaquay Sorrells back, which will be really good for that defensive tackle depth as well. You know, he did note that they started with nine defensive tackles at fall camp, and they were down to four this week. Uh, so wow. getting getting two guys back at that position is going to be really good for the Frogs these last two weeks of camp going into um, one-a-days and getting school started and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but other than that, you know, it feels like hey, Jamoy Hodge has been out. He's been a little banged up. Patterson didn't give any indication that that was going to be a long-term thing. Um, and so it, it seems like at least at this point, most of the injury news is really about guys that are on the other side of their injury and are starting to come back versus guys that we're going to have to worry about throughout the season. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of the things that Patterson loves is to put his young guys in situations where they have to step up. And and we were chatting about that a little bit before, um, we hit record and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, but, um, I think if there are two positions, um, you don't want to lose a guy and you don't want to lose a senior and, and it sucks for, for Barkley and, um, for George Ellis, because those are both guys that have been around a long time and, and Barkley, especially, uh, kid can't catch a break, but Mm -hmm. if there's, if there's a place where you have some depth where you can stomach a couple of guys missing significant parts of the season, I mean, that, that's it. I mean, that's the position. And if, Corey Bethley is coming back and he's fully healthy. You've got some young guys that we've been anxious to see. I really want to see Patrick Jenkins set loose. I really want to see Earl Barquette set loose. You know, I want to see those guys get some run and do some damage. Um, and you still have some great veteran experience on that, uh, that unit too with Terrell Cooper and, um, you know, uh, Kenny Turnier, Turnier is new to TCU, but his guys played a lot of productive football. Um, and then of course the wide receiver, position um it feels like there's incredible depth and there's incredible depth at at the speed position too so um good to see guys staying healthy at the halfway mark of camp that's a that's a big deal and um really excited to to see noah daniels back at 100 percent. hope i think he'll be there by week one you don't talk like he's been talking on twitter and not be ready to play week one right like that oh absolutely i'm sure they're i'm sure they're easing him back and even Mm -hmm. week two like i don't i mean he doesn't need to play uh duquesne but um i 
it's it's nice to be at this point and to not have seven guys out for the season. And I feel like two weeks into camp for the last four years, we've had seven guys out for the season and two of them were guys we expected to start. So uh, knock on wood and uh, let's keep those guys healthy. But it, it seems like we're in a pretty good position um, at with depth um, other than kind of the nicks and bruises that come with fall camp. Yeah, you mentioned depth and you mentioned wide receiver. I was talking to someone uh, before media availability started and uh, they mentioned that in their time at TCU, this is the best combination of talent and depth mm-hmm. that TCU has had at wide receiver since he's been uh, a part of TCU athletics. And this is a guy that's been around for a long time now. So he was here in 2014, 2015 and beyond. Um, and he just started rattling off names of guys who he thought were going to show out really, really well this year. And that has to give you a lot of confidence too, knowing that you've got, even if Barkley goes down, Quentin Johnson, uh, uh, everybody is blanking right now. Tay Barber, Darius Davis, J.D. Spielman, uh, Savion Williams, Quincy Brown. You know, uh, you've got a couple new tight ends that uh, Patterson mentioned very briefly today, and Jorquarius, Spivey, and D.J. Rogers. Uh, D.J. Rogers is coming back uh, for the first time uh, this week. Uh, he's finally getting worked back in. He is the one TCU player that got COVID in fall camp, apparently. Um, so. Uh, and Patterson noted, and he came from the West Coast. I don't know what that means, really, but hey, Thanks, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Rogers is back. Uh, Patterson spoke very highly of of Spivey, saying he's six six. He's kind of like a in between of Pro Wells and Artavius Lynn. He's very athletic. He's really smart. They've been moving him around a lot, lining him up in different places, so he gives them some versatility, some flexibility in the passing game as well, which is really fun to hear um, when you're talking about tight ends. That means he's probably going to have like 12 catches this year, which, uh, you know, huge number, a TCU. massive number yeah. of catches for a TCU yeah. tight end. Um, and so you start to talk about depth on this team and, and you look at all of these position groups. I know we've broken them down already over the last two podcasts, but it does give you a lot of hope that even if there are some significant injuries that come across this team this season, uh, it looks like TCU is in a position to overcome those for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you would you would hope so. I mean, I think some of these guys that that they're due to step up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we we have can have high expectations for Blair Conright, who showed flashes um, before kind of disappearing. But you know, that's what happens with young players. And um, maybe this is the opportunity for Marcel Brooks to get some some real run at the wide receiver position. Um, it, the, the talent is there on paper, and then there's a lot of guys that have proven they can do it in games. If you have the guys live up to their expectation and then you have those one or two guys every year that kind of pop off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reason to be excited. Um, I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned talking to someone about the depth, the, the talent, the position. I remember having that conversation with uh, Zarnell Fitch before the che- or after the Cheez-It Bowl. And he just knew then that that defensive line was, was going to, it was close. It was close to popping. And it didn't happen um, in 2020, you know, like I think we all maybe expected, but there were a lot of reasons for that. But it looks like we're going to reap the rewards of that this fall. Um, and and when you look at the combination of, of guys and the way that you can mix and match and the rotation that you can do, um, how fresh you can keep players because of that depth. I mean, that's really the difference. If, you, if you've got eight receivers and you've got one or two go-to guys that you can be running fresh legs out there every handful of plays, uh, it, it definitely makes your offense more potent. And the same thing with the defensive line. Uh, the fresher your, your pass rushers, the more effective they tend to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, too, especially on that D-line, there's some depth at, at tackle. Uh, 
Earl Barquette has had an incredible fall camp, according to Patterson. Obviously, you're getting Corey Bethley back. They were getting him extra reps in the scrimmage today because he's still working his way back from a year-long injury. Uh, Terrell Cooper is coming back to Quay Sorrells. Uh, and he even started to talk, too, uh, about defensive ends. They've got four defensive ends that they're really confident in. Uh, and then he even mentioned the two freshmen, Landon Watson and Chris Murray, as both saying they have remarkable upside. So uh, it really does look like you've got about 12 or 13 guys along this defensive end that Patterson's going to be able to count on going into the fall. And that's just music to everybody, every TCU fan's ears, is to know that those guys are going to be guys that really, really get after it. He did also mention, yeah. he did also mention though, that I, I believe it was Tuesday night of this week, they did some pass uh, practice and um, passing game. And the defensive line uh, recorded 11 sacks. And um, he wasn't sure as he was saying it, you could tell on his face. He's like, I'm not sure if this was a good thing, but we had 11 sacks on Tuesday night. And it's, you know, and then he, then he goes into a, a big description about, well, but you know, like the tackles are getting better. He said, Obina Easy and um, Andrew Coker have had a really good fall camp and they are learning and they are progressing and they are growing and getting better because they're going up against quality defensive ends. Uh, he mentioned that Brandon Coleman and um, Marcus Williams, the backup uh, tackles are still not exactly where they need them to be, but they're progressing as well. He said, you know, but you have one unit that's really good. That makes the other unit get better, which makes the, the first unit get even better, which makes the next unit. And they just kind of build on each other. He said competition builds a team up and makes them strong. If you have if you have a side of the ball that's just not good, then it really does put the whole team at a deficit um, just because you're, you're up the other side of that ball isn't improving at all either and so yeah and i think we've we've seen that in the past too especially Mm -hmm. um with the with the cornerback position we haven't had strong corners the wide receivers don't learn how to get off the line and when you haven't had a good pass rush the offensive line never gets tested now i i'm in with you and gary i don't know if 11 sacks is a good thing or a bad thing like are Mm -hmm. these defensive ends just that good um or is the offensive line just that far from being effective but they are going to get bad i mean if you have to line up against O'Shawn Mathis and Kari Coleman and Dylan Horton and, and the like every day, you're going to have to figure some stuff out, you know, like, so, uh, you know, like, that's kind of how I feel. Like that's, it's kind of, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. That it's a little concerning. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, obviously like he ended his press conference with, you know, we'll, we'll show people who we are when we step on the field and we'll learn more about ourselves too. And so I guess, that's one of those questions that we'll just have to wait and see, especially when it comes to the offensive line is how good are they actually going to be? How improved are they going to be? We know that they were a point of weakness in 2020 and that they needed to improve. Uh, and so we'll see if that was actually the case when, when probably not Duquesne, but when, when Cal Berkeley um, comes to town, we'll know. Yeah, Cause, Ber- cause Ber- Cal's going to bring a good defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is a, a legitimate defense. So they're 100% going to, uh, We'll have a really good idea of what that line looks like by the end of that Cal game, I think. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and, you know, Patterson also mentioned uh, a little bit about uh, – he got asked about who TCU's backup quarterback was. And I know that's been a topic of conversation for TCU fans uh, as fall camp started. Obviously, you have Oklahoma transfer Chandler Morris coming in to compete with TCU's backup in 2020, Matthew Downing. Um, you also have – Freshman Sam Jackson, who's been spinning the ball really, really well. Uh, Patterson spoke pretty highly of him today. But Patterson did say that as of right now, Matthew Downing has had the best camp out of those three guys and and would be positioned as the number two quarterback going into the season. Um, 
On the surface, Melissa, how does that make you feel? So I know Gary's mind games now, right? We've been sure. doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we know that he's always going to protect the highly touted guy that isn't quite ready. And that he's going to play the dude that knows the playbook better. Much to the chagrin often of TCU fans. Um, I this, this would be my prediction. Max Duggan starts, gets a quarter, maybe a half against Duquesne. Matthew Downing, 100% the second guy in the field. And then I think we see Chandler Morris. But from that point, if Duggan had to leave the game, I would bet the farm that Chandler Morris is the guy that replaces him. Here's what I'll tell you, because I was observing practice for a little bit before uh, we got to talk to Patterson today. Uh, And the second team was out there. And the quarterback that was running with the second team today was not Downing. It was Chandler Morris. And so, you know, that could be them splitting time both getting snaps with the second team, still trying to figure out who the actual number two quarterback is on this team. Um, but it feels like all of the momentum is starting to lean towards Chandler Morris being the backup quarterback. Uh, I would I, I would say that I don't know that I would necessarily be thrilled if Downing was the backup quarterback. I think you know the backup quarterback is either the most beloved player on the team or the guy that you least want to see step out on the field, and there really is no in-between. You know, for a couple of years there, everybody wanted Sean Robinson to step on the field. And then for another year there, everyone wanted to see Justin Rogers. Uh, and then it seemed like in 2020, the inverse happened and people were terrified of Max Duggan going down because the backup quarterback situation seemed shaky. I, I'll say that I don't know that... Um, any of those three quarterbacks that are backing up Duggan would perform to the level of Duggan in 2021. Yeah, I don't sure. know that their performances would be vastly different from one another either. Uh, and so for me, it's not really a matter of who is the clear number two. It's a matter of if Duggan goes down, which pray every day that he doesn't, um, how is the coaching staff going to set up whichever quarterback comes in, uh, putting them in a position to succeed? Because it feels like there's enough talent around the quarterback position this year to offset average quarterback play. Uh, Especially when you start talking about Zach Evans and Quentin Johnson, these tight ends. It feels like the talent is there to offset an injury to quarterback. But it's also, how are you you changing the game plan? How are you adjusting the offense to play to those quarterbacks' strengths versus what you know Max Duggan's strengths are? Yeah, I mean, it becomes a different game because even even if you have Sam Jackson who can run or you have Chandler Morris who can run, they don't run like Max runs, which is such a weird thing to say. But um, I, I think that the talent is definitely there, and so it's having that understanding of the offense. But I, I still think you have to go with the higher ceiling guy. And I think that's one of the, the things that TC fans have long complained about Gary Patterson is his loyalty but he he is a he cares more about the height of the floor than he does the height of the ceiling. And mm-hmm. you kind of know what you're going to get with Downing. And he's done some good things over his time at TCU. I don't want to say, like, it would be a disaster if he had to play meaningful snaps. But also, we've seen him play meaningful snaps. And I think we we know that he's not going to make the killer mistake too often. He, he has. Um, but he's also not going to make the uh, – uh, the amazing play either that often. So mm-hmm. 
that it's 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 kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I would say that I would like to see Chandler Morris come out as QB two um, when the the first step start of the season is released. I, I just I think that his ceiling is high. Maybe his floor is lower um, because we don't really know what he looks like in a TCU uniform. But um, I definitely think he's got the chops. If if Max couldn't play, I, I think I think Morris can still win a lot of games at TCU. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, We're going to take a quick break, though, Melissa, and uh, do a hashtag ad. Then we'll be back. We got a couple more notes from Patterson's press conference, and then we're going to take a quick look at TCU's schedule this fall. And we're back. Wow. It was a long time. I went and got a snack. Yeah. Took a long walk. I didn't do any of those things. I sat right in this chair. Melissa. Patterson did something today that he rarely does when he's talking about young players. What's a phrase that you would associate with Gary Patterson and a young football player on his team? You know, he always talks about having a girlfriend, but uh, Paper Tiger is probably the one that I go to. Yes. Paper Tigers uh, are, I believe, Patterson's most used phrase when it comes to recruits. Uh, when it comes to young players that have not seen a lot of playing time yet. Um, but today he he kind of took a turn from that, especially when he was talking about three young guys, three guys that are in their first camp on campus, three safeties, um, Abraham Kamara, Devon Armstead, and Diarco Perkins McAllister. Um, he looked at us all and he said, we did not miss on any of them. <laughs> Unbelievable. He said all, unbelievable. all three are really athletic young safeties. And he said, so every day we just keep working at it. That is a massive comment, I think, for these three young guys to know that they have already impressed Patterson to the point that he is speaking incredibly highly of them um, publicly. It, it comes at a time, too, when you talk about depth at a position and safety, there are some question marks because you're replacing Trey Merrig and Ardarius Washington. Uh, both of whom are in the NFL now and and thriving in the preseason for the Ravens and the Ravens respectively. So shout out to both of those guys for really crushing. Ardarius Washington is making a roster. Yeah. First of all, he should have been drafted. Like that is, that was one of the most ridiculous results of the draft this past spring was that Ardarius Washington went undrafted. Every, every scout, every draft analyst person who worked on a safeties list had Ardarius Washington in their top 10 or 15 safeties on the board. Uh, and I guess it was just his size and his measurables that really scared teams away. But he's been lighting it up for Baltimore. And that is a fun, fun team for him to be lighting it up for. So that's just really mm-hmm. awesome to see. But with with the loss of Merrick and Washington, um, that might be the biggest question mark other than the loss of Garrett Wallow at linebacker is who comes in and plays uh, and fills that void that's left by those two guys. Patterson mentioned today that uh, – TJ Carter, the Memphis transfer, and Nook Bradford are are kind of battling it out at weak safety. Bud Clark and Deshaun McQuinn are battling it out at free safety. Obviously, you've got LeKendrick Van Zandt kind of as the guy at at strong safety still. Um, And Josh Foster has been pushing him in camp, which has been Mm -hmm. really good to hear. Uh, But beyond those six, it sounds like there are at least three more guys now uh, in Kamara uh, Kamara, um, Armstead and uh, Perkins McAllister who, if worse came to worse, 
uh, it might not be so bad if they had to come out on and, and play a few snaps in a meaningful game. Yeah, um, and and again, that's a position where we've seen a lot of in-season turnover over the last several years, a lot of injuries, a lot of guys go down, and um, you also, just playing in the Big 12, need to have depth at that position. And so, you, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of the last time we saw a true freshman start for TCU. It was Trey Mary. He didn't start as a freshman. He played special teams. It was no, soft, he well, started. Was it his redshirt freshman year that he became the starter? That guy, that guy started. Ardarius Washington played a lot as freshman. Well, he he redshirted. Ardarius Washington redshirted. Okay. So he only played in four games his true uh, freshman season. Um, I'm trying to remember if Merig. Um, I'm looking it up. We're right gonna, now. Okay, let's see. this is great radio. Um, yes. While we while 2018 we freshman uh, played in 12 games with starts against Oklahoma and Baylor. Yeah. So he. Okay. Uh, oh, he was only here for three years, but he did not redshirt. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so Trey Merrick yeah. was the last freshman that we've seen start games. Um, and he started two games and then they were later in the season. So he earned his way up into that position. Um, so if that's a trajectory for one of these guys, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, especially when you consider too, that, um, Kamara is a Juco kid. Yeah. So he's, he's had a year at, at Juco to kind of get, um, a little bit more up to speed progressing through from high school to, to Juco and now to D1 football. Um, Armstead was a top-rated kid out of Baton Rouge for the class of 2021. Uh, Perkins McAllister is a really interesting story. Yeah. Because he literally just committed to TCU on July 10th and signed and enrolled on the same day, July 11th, or July 12th. Um, he was originally a 2022 uh, recruit, Um who graduated early, reclassified to 2021 so he could get on campus this summer and just be a part of this team. Uh, and so it feels like you got a kid in Perkins McAllister who already has the noggin to understand what he needs to do in the classroom uh, and already mm-hmm. has the skill set as a really young freshman to be impressing uh, Gary Patterson in the way that he's impressed him so far. So that's, uh, you know, I think if, if you're picking one of those three, I might, I might put my money on Perkins McAllister to be the one that really pops. Hopefully yeah, all three of them do. It would be awesome. Um, he's got the size too. Like he definitely looks the part of a college safety. Um, he can really fly. He can really run. Um, it, he's an interesting guy for sure. Like uh, that's going to be a really fun thing to watch as some of these freshmen over the course. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, like I feel great. If you tell me some combination of TJ Carter, um, uh, Nook Bradford, LVZ, uh, Josh Foster, you know, mm-hmm. um, we all, we all know that I have the biggest football crush on, um, my man out of Louisiana, who I think is going to be a super duper star, Bud but Clark. I can never, I, yep. Thank you. I just, every single time I forget <laughs> his name. Um, even though he's like my favorite player on the defense this year, um, I will eventually remember it, but yeah. So I think, I think that the, the, the guy, guys that have played and played at a high level and been successful, are in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So if one of these true freshmen comes up and beats one of those guys out, I think that that's like reason to be really, really excited as a TCU fan. I agree. And the last thing I want to note about Patterson's media availability is, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about big transfers in that have made position switches in the last few episodes. Uh, Marcel Brooks at wide receiver now transferring in as a linebacker and Shadrach Banks uh, transferring in as a line as a wide receiver and uh, is now playing linebacker. Patterson mentioned both of them today. 
uh, said that Brooks has been out with what he called an upper body injury. Uh, but Brooks was posting on Instagram that he had a wisdom tooth, tooth removed. So um, <laughs> an know, upper body injury. He's a really interesting guy, uh, but he's been running with the he third did. string wide receivers. He's made a couple of really athletic plays in practice, apparently. Uh, and he's a guy who Patterson mentioned could step up and step in uh, if Barkley is really down for the year for an injury. Uh, so that's the guy to keep an eye on. And then he he said, and I quote about uh, Banks today. Where did he, where did it go? Let me scroll through my notes here. Um, he said, uh, oh, um, he was talking about guys who were stepping up and playing well in Hodge's absence. And he goes, um, a guy who is going to be a great player, my man from North Shore, who came here <laughs> as a wide receiver. Uh, and then he like just stopped talking. And Jeremy Clark, 24-7 sports, goes, Banks, Shadrach Banks. He goes, Banks. He does <laughs> And then he, Patterson goes, he doesn't know where he's going all the time yet, but he's getting there. Um, and so, you know, but he said it in, uh, if you if you understand Gary Patterson speak, and if you go back and watch that part of the media availability, which the video uh, of that will be posted in the same post where this podcast is on frogswar.com. You can also find it on YouTube at the Frogs War channel. Um, he said it in that Gary Patterson, like really genuinely loving way. Uh, but the first part of that, where he said he's going to be a great player, he said that with as much enthusiasm and as much emphasis as he's talked about Trey Merrick, as he's talked about Jerry Hughes, as he's talked about Andy Dalton, as he's talked about all these kind of superstar TCU football players. That was the same kind of tone that he had taken on talking about Shadrach Banks moving over to linebacker. The dude is fast, incredibly fast, and he's also like 250 pounds right now. Yeah. So um, he, it, might, he might be a tank to deal with. Um, when it, you're talking about some it's of the good really backs hard. In this it's really, really hard not to get too excited about that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, not to like completely and totally um, over over or build up his potential before he's ever taken a snap. Yeah. Um, but it just it, it would be a shock to my system if this kid doesn't leave TCU as a first or second round linebacking talent. It just all yeah. the pieces are there. All the pieces are there. Mm-hmm. And and when Gary looks at it's somebody with those measurables who's got actually some defensive experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think Shadrach Banks is what we all hoped Shawo would be when he showed up to campus. And I think that's listen, a really Shewo, good comparison. Yeah. Shawo is is making money as a running back in the league. Mm-hmm. So you know what? You do what you want to do, Shawo, and I'm happy for you, Batman, like for sure. But Shadrach Banks is who we thought – we. I think we all believe that Shea would end up on defense. And if he had, he would be Shadrach Banks. I'm here for it. 100% yeah. here for it. When you talk about uh, the linebacking core being D. Winters, Jamoy Hodge, uh, Wyatt Harris, and Shadrach Banks, that gets your heart racing a little bit. Yeah. And it's really starting to look like this defense could – and I said this last week too and when we did the defensive preview. It's really starting to feel – like this TCU defense could be incredibly special. And that's on the yeah. heels of losing a second round NFL draft pick, uh, an undrafted free, uh, a fifth round NFL draft pick and an undrafted free agent who are all showing out in the preseason for their respective NFL teams. Yeah. Yeah. And Garrett Wall is having a hell of a camp too. Yeah. That's, I mean, I mean he's yeah. 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 So you may have said that. I'm sorry. I You're good. Lost me for a second. It happened. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that, that, uh, again this is it's that perfect confluence of talent on paper 
with experience and games. Mm-hmm. If if every if the stars line up just a little bit, uh, we could be we could be looking at one of those really really fun to watch TCU defenses. I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, so let's spend the last few minutes of this episode though talking about TCU's schedule. We don't need to get really too far in depth into it. We can do that as we move forward in the podcast series leading up to the regular season. Uh, but I do just want to talk a little bit about the schedule. Um, TCU's bye week is really early. It comes after week two, and then it's a sprint to the end of the season with SMU and your entire Big 12 schedule with no bye weeks. Uh, and the final week against <laughs> Iowa State being a short week because you're playing on a Friday instead of a Saturday. Um, so it doesn't feel like the schedulers did TCU any favors from that perspective. Um, but they do get Texas at home, Baylor at home. Um, Cal Berkeley is a good home game for a non-conference game. SMU is coming to, to Fort Worth as well. Uh, and those are four games that uh, you really think TCU needs to win, should probably win uh, this year, and you get all of those at home. You have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State all on the road, though. And that, I think, is the major challenge of TCU's schedule when you start to look at home and away. You have to play arguably three of the best four, three of the best five teams in the conference all on the road in the same season. I think that those first four games, you have to win three. You have to win three. Mm -hmm. And really, you should win four. Um, We don't know what Texas is going to be, but if you let Texas beat you this year, you're never going to hear the end of it. And so... Yeah. I think I think that that has to be a win. SMU uh, is, is the game that that honestly concerns me more than Texas right now because that's a deep, experienced veteran team that's very, very well coached uh, that has a point to prove. And listen, like we haven't been talking about SMU in this realignment thing, but uh, I mean they've got to be selling themselves as a candidate if the, if the the dice come out of the cup here a little bit, as somebody team uh, conferences are going to want to pick up. So. They want to make a statement. Um, I think that's going to be, uh, unfortunately, probably one of the more entertaining Iron Skillet games we've seen in a long time as far as two really good teams, hopefully, going at it. And um, it, it may end up just coming down to who has the ball last. Like, that's so cliche. But the, these are teams that hopefully both both sides are going to be putting the putting a lot of points on the board. Uh, TCU's defense is definitely better um, than what SMU has to show. But we've seen SMU step up defensively against Frogs in the past. So, um, yeah, that getting off on a strong start is going to be a huge, huge deal. Um, you know, TC's coming into the season unranked. That's no surprise. I don't think we deserve a ranking, but if you can go four and beat Texas, you have a chance to, to kind of enter into October as, as a ranked program. And that would be a huge deal. Um, but mm-hmm. I, that at tech, I, I still don't know if tech is any good. Um, but I don't think they're bad and winning in Lubbock is, is never easy. Um, and doing that playing in Lubbock right before you play in Norman is that's a big, big ask um, for, for this program. So that Texas Tech OU stretch to me is is the most concerning one of the season because that sets up if that Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State three and four game stretch actually matters because mm-hmm. uh, Iowa State game doesn't matter if if you blow it across that four game stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I will say I do think TCU has the advantage specifically in the SMU and Texas games because of a proven quarterback and, and an elite yeah. defense. Uh, SMU is incredibly talented. They've been recruiting at a level that has been unknown to them since they were buying uh, vehicles for players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the really the main question is, is, is Tanner Mordecai good enough to lead that team? 
Yeah. Um, they've got talent at wide receiver. They've got talent running back. Their defense is pretty good. Uh, they're projected, I think, to win, to like be third in the AAC this year, third or fourth, somewhere around there uh, in that same cluster with Cincinnati and Central Florida. Um, Which shocks me, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely shocks me. Like the fact that SMU is not considered a top two team and that, and I know they haven't. They haven't won when it matters. They've had, mm-hmm. they've been picked, they've been favored, they've been ranked, and they've dropped the big games. But man, on paper, whew, yeah, they just look like they're going to be a real good. They team do, they do. But I think TCU has two advantages in that they have Max Duggan and and SMU doesn't know who their quarterback is or what he is yet. If it's Mordecai, I'm assuming that it's going to be Mordecai. Uh, and then the second advantage that TCU has is that they lost to SMU last year. Yeah, and that's only happened three times in the last 19 years. Uh, Patterson is really incredibly good at motivating teams uh, who got bit by a, a squad the previous year. Um, and so I, I don't see the SMU game as a big of as big a threat as other folks might. That might be foolish of me, um, but I'll direct everyone who's listening back to my Sam Ellinger take from three years ago when I said he hasn't proven anything to me yet. So I'm not buying him yet. Uh, and TCU went out and absolutely kicked the crap out of Texas that year. So, yeah. Um, We'll ignore all the times that I was wrong in between that take and this one for the purpose <laughs> of this exercise. Uh, I, I do think Texas coming to Fort Worth, uh, and, you know, Patterson got asked today, um, you know, is there a little extra juice for the Texas and Oklahoma games uh, this year, uh, knowing that the past month has happened? And he said, no, it's Duquesne, Cal Berkeley, SMU, then we get to Texas. Um, and the guy, the guy responded with, well, I was very politically correct. And Patterson, without missing a beat, goes, well, if you'd been around me for the last 40 years, you'd, you'd have gotten that answer all 40 of those years. Very true. So. Uh, which is also a better answer than the Oklahoma State assistant coach gave mm-hmm. when he talked about Bedlam this year and, and basically told people that the uh, sidelines are very, very close to the student section. On the opposing sidelines, which is true because I've been there and seen. And then, yeah, get a helmet and keep it on. Like, that's not – this is 2021. Like, that stuff doesn't fly anymore, and it shouldn't. But this is – that was a very – Yeah, yeah, I don't know that we should be threatening the well-being of of players just because the powers that be at their school made a business decision. But, uh, you know, you do you. (laughs) You do you, Oklahoma State assistant coach. Uh, so, you know, I do think that TCU comes out of those first four games for now. Uh, I, I strongly believe that um, because even if Patterson says that there's no extra juice for Texas this year, there's always extra juice for Texas, first of all. Uh, and this year, that will be especially so. I will say the one thing that makes me nervous is TCU's record before and after they play Texas. Uh, I think I wrote mm-hmm. a piece on that last year going to the Texas game where TCU had a sub 500 record. Uh, in teams that they were playing the week before they played Texas and teams they were playing the week after they played Texas. So it feels like there's a, a almost a three-week Texas hangover for TCU every year. So they're going to have to overcome that, especially when you talk about SMU coming to town right before and having to travel to Lubbock right afterwards. Like you said, that Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma stretch uh, is really going to test the mettle of this TCU team um, pretty early on in the Big 12 schedule. That'll definitely be something to look at. The other matchup, though, that I am really curious to see comes at the very end of the season. And it's Iowa State. And like you said, Melissa, it only matters if TCU is taking care of business the rest of the way. Um, But I am very curious to see how TCU handles going to Ames and what could Mm -hmm. potentially be 
you know, a Big 12 berth on championship berth on the line. Um, Brock Purdy, um, running back who's escaping me now. Levi, please mute this part of the podcast. <laughs> Brees uh, Hall. Thank you, Brees Hall, who looks like I a can tank. remember other teams' players. And yeah, it's not fine. My own, but it's fine. We'll just keep reminding each other. Bud Clark. Yes, thank you. Um, Brees Hall, uh, obviously, uh, Matt Campbell is going to have that defense incredibly ready to rock. Um, it aims sucks if you're an opposing team. Just sucks. It's, a, uh, from what I've heard, a great place to go and hang out and tailgate. Oh, it's, uh, it's a blast. Like, I, I, I might have to make my way up there this year. But it, um, And if you do have Levi's mom make you cookie crisp white Russians, it's a game changer. I'm, I don't want Mark I'm, I'm Cohen sold. to know how many of those I had before I went uh, in. to cover that game. But, I'm you know, in. it's fine. Cookie crisp white Russians. That's okay, a it's a game changer. It's a game changer. I'm going to shout be thinking out to Levi's mom. I'm She's th- a queen. I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of this episode now. And um, the, the the cookie crisp, they sink to the bottom of the cup and they mm-hmm. absorb all of the vodka. Well, yeah, they're a solid. And so when you eat them at the end. Yikes. You like think you're fine. Like, you drink the white Russians. They're great. Everything's everything's golden. And then you get to the cookies at the you end. Essentially and did you're the, like, you essentially did the cookie crisp version of eating the worm is what you're telling me right now. Yeah, except it wasn't a worm. It was a cookie. Well, actually, yeah. really, it's a cereal, so it's healthy. Mm-hmm. Count. Yeah, she, part pours of a, them, she pours them big, too. Like Part of a balanced uh, breakfast, cookie crisp, white yeah. Russians. Listen, when there's like a four-hour rain delay and you're in Iowa, you just you, you make cookie crisp, white Russians. I'm going to cut this conversation out and put it at the front before the interim. <laughs> it's honestly the, the, best, the best thing that we've episode. done. This is That's the best excellent. thing we've done on the podcast um, this month. You know, I, shout out to Levi's mom. Shout out to Levi's mom. Can't wait to meet her. Um, she's, she's a gem. <laughs> just a, Absolute one, gem. Of, one of a kind. Uh, you know, TCU's, TCU's schedule does them no favors this year, is I think yeah. the, the biggest takeaway. Never with does. Such, with such an early bye, uh, road games against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State are going to be really tough. Early challenges from SMU and Texas. Um, it means a couple of different things. It means that TCU really has to make Duquesne and Cal Berkeley count. They have to take the best advantage of their early bye week that they can. Um, And, you know, injuries, especially injuries early on, uh, could really do some significant damage to TCU's hopes if they come at key positions. I know we talked about depth, um, but if there's not enough time for those depth guys to get up to speed on what they need to do before they're forced into a game against Texas, say third quarter of the Texas game, tie game, something like that, uh, things could get sideways for TCU pretty quickly if, 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 something like that occurs. Yeah. I mean, and you know, when I think about that, the, the place I go is cornerback position. Mm-hmm. Cause it, even yeah. if everybody's healthy, there's just not, I mean, you got four or five guys that, that you've seen on the field and that mm-hmm. that's, that's an area of concern, but you know, yeah, I wonder, I, 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 wonder think, if t- I wonder if, if Patterson's emergency plan, say Noah Daniels goes down and CJ Caesar isn't quite back healthy and ready to rock yet. I wonder if his emergency plan might not be to move TJ Carter back to corner. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, that's, what, that's where to. he played at Memphis. He's trans, transitioning yeah. to safety here at TCU. Um, but if he and, um, excuse me, Nook Bradford are really in this big of a battle for weak safety, uh, if there's an injury concern, maybe TJ could be the guy that slides back over to corner um, to kind of be that that plug in the wall. Keep the yeah. water from if, if, you're not, if you're not preparing for that and you're Gary Patterson and Noah Daniels is 100% healthy now, mm-hmm. if you're not preparing for that, you're making a big mistake. 
and so if we if we know one thing about Gary Patterson is that he's literally yeah, prepared for every scenario prepared. on the on the face of yeah. the earth. So yeah, I think I think the best case scenario for for that Black Friday game in Ames to kind of go back to that is that those two teams are just playing to be the one seed mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve championship. But I think the the most realistic hopeful scenario is that is that that game you know gets you a spot against Oklahoma. Um, and I, I think it would be awesome. Um, I would rather just be free and clear and in. Yeah. going into Ames, but look if, they're bo- if both game? of those teams are undefeated going into that football game and they both know that they're going to the big 12 championship a week and a half later yeah. just air it out just sure. you have, have nothing to lose at that point yeah just um, have a blast but so but yeah but if they're uh if if that game if you're looking at maybe two teams ranked in the top 15 18 mm-hmm. then there's gonna be that game at Ames on black friday a lot to play for um, hey, before we get out of here, yes, we've been talking about football. I want to talk about football. Yeah, uh, huge, huge game this Sunday uh, mm-hmm. for TCU against Texas A and M. Um, Frogs hit the road. Uh, for most of y'all, it will be tonight, Thursday evening at seven PM. They play at Charlton. We'll have our man Ryan Bennell, um on Twitter live tweeting that game, covering it for us. Heck yeah! Um, but there are still a handful of tickets available for Sunday night's matchup with number nine Texas A and M. That's a top ten matchup. Women's soccer, two teams um, picked to be near the top at or near the top of their respective conferences. Uh, really, really great gameplay. A uh, and M was the only team to beat TCU in the regular season last year. So now the Aggies come to Fort Worth for the rematch. Um, you've seen a lot of TCU coaches from other sports jump on social media promoting this game. It is a huge deal for the program. It's a huge deal for Eric Bell, for those players um, coming off the most successful season in TCU history, an Elite Eight appearance Big 12 championship. Uh, if you live in the Fort Worth or North Texas area, it is a $10 ticket. Get the family pack that stadium it's one of the best environments you will find at a tcu game um, everything that you want from tcu sports you will find at that soccer stadium so mm-hmm. uh, if you can be there be there it's going to be an absolute utter blast if you can't be there make sure that you are tuning in uh, we'll be covering it on twitter um, and i think you can watch the game on espn3 so uh but i'm i like i'm just learning soccer jamie i know you recently um upticked your interest in up uh the, the, the toffees games. melissa up the yes. toffees up the toffees yes uh so go everton and go one and oh by the way three points top of the table right now um Sky listen my team is richmond afc it's not a real <laughs> team really but that's who i follow in soccer um and the horn frog so i i am really this is the most excited i've been about a soccer game in a really really long time so um hope that y'all will uh this program is legit and and one of the things that we as fans that we at frogs war have talked about with this potential realignment is the damage it could do to some of these non-revenue sports. So the mm. best way that we prove we put our money where our mouth is is we support these sports programs now because that will matter too Look, down the line. So. 10, 10 bucks a ticket. Um, that costs me less to take my family to a TCU soccer game than it does to take them to dinner. Yeah. So yeah. why not? Yeah. We'll, we'll probably be there on Sunday night. So Super kid-friendly environment. It's a blast. Heck yeah. So. Get out to the TCU A&M women's soccer game. Watch the Horned Frogs beat the Aggies and set up themselves for a nice little championship run in the big 12, maybe the NCAA will be a really, really great game on Sunday evening. That will do it though. For this episode of the frogs of war podcast, I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treebosser. And if you haven't yet subscribe to us, wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it be Apple podcasts or Spotify or any other platform service out there that I am not currently aware of, 
go ahead and subscribe, leave a rating and review. Melissa's got some cool memorabilia that she's going to hand out to someone after we yeah. get a hundred reviews, um, which is a cool, cool little treat. I know she's got a ton of memorabilia. She's handing away Rangers memorabilia just to hurt me. Uh, so if you want to participate mm -hmm. in that, please leave a rating. And what review. are the Rangers? Bad, just bad, sad, yeah. bad, everything bad. Um, also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, on Instagram, um, and read all of the stuff at frogswar.com because we've got an incredible staff that's doing an amazing job of getting you ready for the upcoming DCU football season. With that, talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.